0: Um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to open our time by reading from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9. I'll read to you if you just want to listen along, and it reads as this, "'What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth.'" So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building." thanks bj all right for the third time good morning it's good to see you guys again uh i don't know how many of you have seen jesus revolution how many of you have seen jesus revolution oh my goodness um you know a little bit about my past um that's the the movement that my parents were saved in um it's the church that i grew up in and it was so cool for me as someone who um Had multiple conversations with Chuck Smith to see um, just his life kind of that portion at least of what the Lord did through him on screen. But something that they did in the movie is he held up his Bible and Chuck used to do this. This is God's word. I want to encourage you guys. Open your Bibles with me. Get out your Bibles. Open your Bibles this morning. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you. If you didn't bring one, grab one of those. Open your Bible and let's turn together in God's word to Mark chapter 4. As we continue our sermon series in this gospel of Mark, today obviously we're going to be working our way through a passage that's very familiar to many of us talking about the parable of the sower. As we turn to Mark 4, in light of our text and the passage that BJ just read for us, I want us to think deeply about the statement at the very end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9 where it says you are God's field. You are God's field. He's speaking to the church. It's an important point to hearing this morning's word with fresh ears to remember that we are his field. Our text is Jesus telling this parable of the sower where he's going to talk about the sower. As Jesus will explain it later on, and I'm not giving anything away, I don't think, because most of us know this from the text. The sower sows the word. And if we are God's field, that immediately tells us what kind of a people we want to be. Here's what parables were used for, and I want to use this as an opening to this text because it's important for us to remember some key factors about parables and why Jesus used them. A parable is a story or figure that's placed alongside a teaching to help us understand its meaning. It is much more than an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and it certainly is not an illustration such as a preacher would use in a sermon. A true parable gets the listener deeply involved, And compels that listener to make a personal decision about God's truth. And thereby about their own lives. They are meant for introspection. A good parable. Spoken by the Lord is intended to be a mirror. And I'll quote from Wearsby again. I, I shared this last week because it's one of my favorite quotes on parables. He said this, A parable begins innocently as a picture that arrests our attention and arouses our interest. But as we study the picture, it becomes a mirror in which we suddenly see ourselves. The crowd did not judge the parables. The parables judge the crowd. Parables reveal who we are. And I want to remind us all this morning that if your, if your inclination is is to hear a parable taught and think of how it applies to somebody you want to prepare for yourself. You can't have a misunderstanding that parable. It doesn't mean that we can't apply it and help others, but I want to encourage all of us to take to heart Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, you know what? First remove the log from your own eye, and then you can help your neighbor with the speck that's in theirs. Let's look at these parables very introspectively and for ourselves so that we might remove the logs from our own eyes. And we'll see how that applies to us this morning as we work through this test this text. As we get into Mark chapter four, we're going to read the verse, the first I can say it, don't worry, the first nine verses. And it begins this way in verse one. Again he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, while the whole crowd was by the sea and on the shore. He taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased thirty, sixty, and a hundred times. And then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. So back in chapter 3, verse 9, we had read a very important um, verse that... that, that basically explains why jesus is in the situation he's in at this moment it said this then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so that the crowd wouldn't crush him as jesus is now on the boat out on the water teaching the people on the shore this isn't just to amplify people like oh it's to amplify his voice maybe but but verse 9 of chapter 3 tells us, otherwise he would have been crushed by the large crowds. So Jesus, by necessity, is on this boat speaking to crowds on the shore. It gives him the opportunity to speak to the whole group and not be encircled by them. And notice that Mark states that Jesus taught them many things by parable. And then he records the parable of the sower. Mark's gospel condenses a lot of activity of Jesus's life. Many, uh, commentators would call it the fast-paced gospel, because it moves so quickly and he condenses a lot of information into really short sections. What we'll see later in this morning's text is that it's helpful to remember that the other gospels will expand more on some of Jesus' teachings at times, and that can be a helpful component to understanding what's happening, and understanding fully what's really going on. Now Mark will give us the information, but the other gospel writers will expand a little bit more with more detail. Take note of the beginning of verse 3. What he says here is Jesus begins to teach. He says, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. The imperative listen calls for obedience to what is taught, not mere comprehension. That listen is imperative. And it's not just, would you just, you know, just, I have something to say to you. It's like, no, this is not just to be heard. It is to be obeyed. This is to be obeyed. The sower represents Jesus, and there's a challenge to you and I that comes along with knowing that Jesus is the one who sows, and we'll discuss that in a bit, but identifying Jesus as the sower, immediately I ask myself the question, if I want to be conformed into his image, then then who do I want to be? If I want to be like Jesus, that means I want to be someone who sows in the way that he sows. I want to follow in his footsteps. Now, notice in the parable, there are three failures based on the soil type. There's a seed that fell on the path, there's a seed that fell on the rocky ground, and there's seed that fell among thorns. There are types of soil, but there was one soil type at the end of the parable that provided the right conditions for growth of the seed, and that is simply described as good ground. This is good ground, and it's the one that produces fruit. And for a farmer, you'd be like, yeah, perfect, wonderful. Well, I'm not a farmer, so I have to figure out what that means, right? Right? Now, in verse 9, Jesus bookends this parable with a call to hear, similar to his opening word, listen. At the very end, in verse 9, he uses the same statement he'll use for the seven churches. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you'll remember this. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He begins with listen. He ends with listen. He's calling out to people, understand what's being said. Understand, hear, listen. Take notice. Obey this. Since Jesus will explain this parable himself shortly in Mark chapter 4, you'll notice that I moved rather quickly through the first part of it because if Jesus is going to explain it, let's just let him do it. Why would I go back and I'm like, no, like, no, let's just let Jesus break it down. That's fine. You guys, let's continue reading because before he explains the parable for us, He's going to reveal why he's teaching in parables to his disciples. So let's read verses 10 through 12, and then following that, Jesus will give his disciples the explanation. In verse 10, it says this When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, and he answered them The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive that they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. I love reading that text. And I love reading it to people and and talking about it, having discussion around it, because at the first reading, I don't know about you guys, it feels a little troublesome. It feels troublesome to read it. He's like, wait a minute. All these questions start popping into my mind. You guys, before we get to that, understand this. The Lord reveals the secrets, quite literally, the mysteries of the kingdom to his disciples. Don't miss that part at the beginning, because what he desires to do for his disciples is reveal the mysteries of the kingdom to them. But those who don't believe in him, those who do not believe, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 over. Now, that's a fascinating passage of scripture. This is troublesome For many, because upon first reading, it reads like Jesus is saying that he does not want people to perceive or understand. Otherwise, they might turn back, receive forgiveness, and be saved. And immediately they're like, that's just how I react to things. (laughs) What about John 3.16? How how could that be? I'm misunderstanding this. You guys, you're not misunderstanding it. In fact, some have taught that Jesus indeed didn't want some people to believe in him. I completely disagree. I completely disagree with that. I don't disagree because I don't like it. I disagree because it's not biblical. And it's not that this is a wrong statement by Mark. We need to look at it in the context of scripture. When we struggle with the scriptural passage, when we struggle with a a portion of scripture, first of all, reading it in context is key, but also using scripture To describe and explain scripture is the best policy when it comes to biblical study. If you want to understand the scriptures, let the Bible commentate on the Bible. Because it's not like this is the only place that this is written about. It's not like this is the only account of this situation. I completely disagree that Jesus didn't want people to understand him or didn't want people to believe. Here's why. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 first. Isaiah in in chapter 6 had just received his commissioning. And the the verses prior to this, in Isaiah 6, 8, God says, who will go for us? Who's going to speak on our behalf? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And God replies with this in verse 9, go, say to these people, the nation of Israel, who were broken, and sinful. He says, Go say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of these people dull, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. It's interesting, as an aside to this, if you read Psalm 115 in conjunction with Isaiah 6. It makes a lot of sense because in Psalm 115, David writes about what the effects of idolatry are. He says, people who worship idols, you know, idols who have eyes but don't see, have ears but don't hear, have mouths but can't speak. He said, those who worship them become like them. Then you read Isaiah chapter 6, and what does it say? It says that they have ears to hear, but they don't hear. It says they have eyes to see, but they can't see. He says, and you know what? They've chosen this over me. They have chosen for themselves this idolatry, and it has made them blind, deaf, and dumb. This passage doesn't reveal God's hatred for his people because it's the commissioning of Isaiah to go to them regardless of their state. God is sending Isaiah to his people in this state and says, preach anyway, minister anyway, call out to them anyway, give them my word anyway. Why? Why if they aren't going to be able to receive it? Because God is gracious and he continues to give opportunity despite the fact that his people are hardening their hearts against him. Is that not the most beautiful picture of God's grace? Not his rejection. Because God is sending his man to them saying, cry out to them even though they're not going to listen to you. And that's why we don't base what we do on results. We base it on obedience because it doesn't matter if people listen or not. What matters is that I obey God. What matters is that I obey his calling on my life. Just like Isaiah did. And in the end, who lays his life down. It's a picture of what Jesus would do. You guys, even though God knows his people will reject his words, otherwise they would turn back and be healed. He still sends his messenger to them. This isn't a passage of indifference. This isn't a passage of rejection. This is a message of grace. And by quoting this passage from Isaiah 6 verse 9, Jesus explained why he used parables. Guzik says this. I love this. He says, this is why he used parables. In teaching by parables, Jesus offered his hearers the opportunity to dig deep and find the truth or to turn a blind eye to an interesting story. They might therefore avoid a greater condemnation for having rejected a clearly understood truth. That's a fascinating quote to me. And I wrestled with it. I still do. Because to me, that's just such a shocking idea. That God loves people so much that he would graciously give them an opportunity to find their way to it when they would reject a blatant truth. You could call this a tactful preaching, a tactful teaching. You think about this. How often do you hear something and it's offensive, but it's truthful? Well, and the person will usually say to you, I'm just telling you the truth, right? You're ugly. You don't have to be that truthful. (laughs) You You know what would look better is if you wore something different. Better Maybe get a haircut. Okay, that's, that's a little nicer. You know, but you think about it. Sometimes the way that we say it, the way that we're trying to win people the kingdom, we're still using truth, but we're going about it in a tactful way. Is that not what a parable is for the lost? It's a way for them to use their imagination and seek for the truth. It's to create a hunger for it. And so often you're like, well, I just gave them truth, and that's what they need to hear. That's not the way Jesus went about it. In fact, he spoke many things to the crowds by parable, creating a hunger in them for the truth. He's trying to give them an appetite for it. Even when those who are lost in such a bad place won't receive truth directly, Jesus gives them opportunity to dig and discover the meaning so that they can discover that he's the answer and the only one who can save. We talked about this last week, but but let me say this really quickly. Don't give up on people who are lost. Keep creating hunger. Keep giving them reasons to look for Jesus. Look for ways to draw them to the cross. Jesus is the only one that can save, it's true. Sometimes people have to come to that conclusion through a process. You ever have someone that you've talked about with another person, maybe you shared with somebody, another believer, and you said, yeah, this person, they're so lost, I don't think they're going to turn to the Lord until they hit rock bottom. Do you know what rock bottom is? A realization. It's a realization that you're at the end of your means and that you need supernatural means. You need the king of kings. Sometimes people come to that road really quickly, and sometimes it takes them a long time. Sometimes it can take a lifetime. If there's breath in their lungs. Don't give up. Keep giving them that hunger. One last clarification for this quote, and this is very important. The quote that Mark records for us from Jesus, in the same situation around the parable of the sower, Matthew records as well. But he does so marked in his condensed way, which that's how he's, he's uh, recording his gospel account. Matthew tells a little bit more in a full way and they're true to each other but Matthew's details help us understand and this is where we let scripture interpret scripture Matthew chapter 13 verses 13 through 15 Jesus is speaking here he says this same situation as the one we're reading about in Mark 4 that is why I speak to them in parables because looking they do not see and hearing they do not listen or understand Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them which says you will listen and listen but never understand you will look and look but never perceive for this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would heal them. Helpful, isn't it? Helpful to see that clarity. It's not that Mark was being untruthful, it's that we need to look at it a little more deeply to understand what's truly being said. G. Campbell Morgan caps this off so well. He says, Jesus used the parabolic method not in order to blind them, but in order to make them look again. Not in order to prevent them coming to forgiveness, but in order to lure them toward a new attention. He was luring them in. He was drawing them in. As one of my mentors once said, we ought to always let Scripture interpret Scripture. God's desire for us is that we would be students of the Word. That we would dig in deeply, and I think that a lot of times when I'm reading my Bible, I'm tempted to just, oh, I don't really get that and go right on by it. Stop. Slow yourself down. Dig in. Dig in and search the Scriptures. When it's difficult to understand what a passage means, dig deeper into your Bible and search for clarity. Be a student. Be like the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, the people in Berea, it says, there, were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? It says, since they received the word, oh, parable of the sower. And it says this, with eagerness and examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. If you ever hear a pastor say, take my word for it, leave. Leave, don't listen to that. If he says, take my word for it, I know what I'm talking about. Search the scriptures and be sure. You have a Bible. You're like, I don't have a Bible. Then take one out of the pew with you. With my compliments. Seriously, I'll, I'll, I'll put my compliments in. I don't know what that means, but I, I will. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want anyone in here to not have a Bible. You're like, with my compliments? You don't think I'm ugly anymore? No, you look great. Sorry. You guys, dig into your scriptures. Know what your Bible says. Please. It's the word of God. Be students of it. Be like the Bereans. So, what's great about this parable, it's almost just, it's a gimme in some ways is this is one of the few parables that Jesus just explains for us. He just gives us an explanation because I'm just like one of the disciples. I'm like, he's like, no, check it out. Don't you understand? Here, he's like, how are you gonna understand the other parables? Look at it. Verse 13, I feel like he's talking right to me. Then he said to Mike, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? You gotta help me, Lord. He says this, the sower sows the word. Underline that in your Bible, guys. The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. I think of Jacob when he goes and stays with Laban. And he starts, you know, Taking care of the, the livestock. That's me saying in a really nice way. He starts breeding livestock. And it says that like the first year he produced a hundredfold. That's not normal. So it's clear that like this is God blessing this. He kind of recalls that for the end of this section. But Jesus explains you guys the four types of soil. Or we could call them the four types of hearts. That the word is sown upon. There's the hard heart. There's the shallow heart. There's the crowded heart and there's the fruitful heart. But notice this. What I emphasized before, verse 14, always remember the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. Those who seek to follow in the footsteps of Jesus must always remember this. And so being conformed into his image, we are required to sow the same way that he has sown. We sow the word of God. You guys, this is why Paul wrote the following words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 2. You probably should. Oh, sorry. I solemnly charge. By the way, if my teacher said that to me, I was in big trouble. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. You could not emphasize that more. If you have friends, preach the word to them. If you have family, preach the word to them. If you have coworkers. Thank you. You guys, like, we. <laughs> We should be doing this all the time. You're like, even when I have lunch? Yes, preach the word of God. And I'm not saying it. I'll be like, I prepared a sermon for this lunch. No, I'm saying like, what you share with people ought to be the word of God. It ought to be his truth. It ought to be an encouragement to them. It ought to bring correction lovingly, instruction lovingly, but do not hesitate and never cease to preach the word, church. Never stop. This is the encouragement for God's people And Adam Clark said it so well, it is a high offense against God to change the master's seed, to mix it or to sow bad seed in place of it. Demand from pastors and preachers in our age, in our time, to preach the word. I'm so sick of hearing pithy sayings. I'm so worn out from hearing some kind of an analogy that tells you you can live your best life now. Be ready to die for your faith. Be ready to suffer and be persecuted because our Savior was. Preach the word. Sorry. Not sorry. You guys, the sower sows the word. If that's how Jesus did it, let us do it. Let us do it faithfully. Let us do it with joy and with full recognition that this is the food that God has fed us with. And when Jesus said to take this and eat this. This is my body. When he broke bread, he was giving us the word to consume, to fill us, to fuel us. I could go on forever. We don't have time. But I could talk about the sower sows the word for hours. I'll go back to it at the very end. But before we get there, let's look at the hearts that this word lands upon. As Jesus teaches us this, In verse 15, we look at the hard heart. This is the hard heart. Soil number one. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown to them, Satan is the birds that Jesus uses in his parable. Soil becomes hard when too many feet walk on it. You want hard soil? That's a pathway that people walk on. That's why he says it falls on the path. Used to be soil, now it's a path because it's been walked all over. How many hearts have been hardened by opening themselves up to be influenced by people and by the world? How hard are our hearts to the Lord right now because the world has hardened them towards His truth? How many are lost in their sin because they weren't able to receive the word from all of the the footsteps in their lives and the enemy just came and snatched it up as soon as it hit? The nation of Israel had, experience, had experienced this, excuse me, in the Old Testament. And God spoke through Hosea, these words in Hosea ten twelve: 12. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. It's interesting, you can't do that unless you break up your unplowed ground. He says, take a plow to it. Guys, let me just put that in this context. Let us be sure to regularly plow our hearts. He says, break up your unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like rain. Boy, just circle that whole passage in Hosea 10. Doesn't that sound refreshing? Doesn't that sound encouraging? But it begins with us breaking up our pathways. That solid pathway that's resisting the word. Plowing up the hearts that are hardened is the only way for the word to take root second type of soil is the shallow heart. He says others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. It's shallow ground. They're short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. This would be your emotional hearer. The shallow hearer. The one who emotionally responds. They're all in when the word of God is initially heard, maybe filled with excitement Maybe some religious feelings, but there's no roots. So they spring up. There's no depth. No true surrender. No obedience. The storms of life come. And they have no root system to hold them fast. And they die. They fall away after a short time. Guys, may we be very, very aware of the ability of life seasons to give us shallow hearts. To look for religious thrill as almost a substitution for true relational depth let us be aware of that we are not here to look for like sensations we aren't sensationalists you guys we are here to have a long haul deep and ever-growing intimate relationship with jesus christ i don't want something that's like a flash in the pan i want something that's like a slow burn Give me something that provides warmth and burns slowly over a long period of time because we recognize this, you guys. For most of us, life is a marathon. It's going to go on for some time and we want that to grow within us. We can't blast out from the gate and then die off. Beware of the shallow heart. Beware of the crowded heart. That's soil number three. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word but the worries of this age... The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word out. It becomes unfruitful. It chokes the life out of it, saps all of its nutrients. The nutrients. You guys, this is the heart with too many other things around it, too many other seeds planted in the same ground. I give you the westernized culture. If you want a culture that's idolatrous, look at ourselves. Look at us. While all these soils, you guys, speak to us in different ways, I think in an age of distraction, this one speaks the loudest to me. Because we have so many little things that we will excuse and we will allow to grow that are choking the life out of our relationship with Jesus. Many of them are computers that are in our pockets. Make no mistake, it's not a phone, it's a computer. Some of them are entertainment, some of them are hobbies. It's money, it's the wealth that Jesus mentions. It's the distractions, it's the opinions of friends. How many things are choking out the fruitfulness of your walk with the Lord? Having right relationships with people is important. But how many of us are living for them instead of living for Jesus and ministering to others church look at the soil of your heart let us all look at the soil of our hearts and be sure that nothing is growing there like the thorns that chokes them out chokes out the life of our ministry and notice in the text renders us unfruitful while all these soils Or types of hearts that reject jesus and are unsaved we can certainly see this as the cause for so many people rejecting the word i believe fully that we must take note of these things when we are being tempted by sin we ought to examine our hearts as paul told the corinthian church in second corinthians 13 5 we need to test ourselves we need to examine ourselves and be sure That our heart is not turning into this kind of soil when it comes to the word of God. And I want to go back to a way that Jesus delivered this parable and remind us of this. He said, listen, not just hear it, understand and obey it. Those are the ones who truly love the Lord. The ones who obey what he says. If you don't believe me, read 1 John. It's all about it. John wrote about that. He's like, listen, God says this. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. He says, you're going to know who belongs to him. That doesn't mean you're perfect. It means that when we fall astray, we immediately return to him. And that's why John wrote in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, if you get off the path, get right back on the path. Don't wait around. Be repentant immediately. Be quick to confession. The parable of the sower not only describes unbelieving hearts, but I believe it serves as warning to us. When our hearts are hardening, let us allow the spirit to plow to receive the word. When our hearts are shallowing, let us allow prayer and community to grow our roots deep in the word. When our lives are too crowded, let us allow the father as the vine dresser to come prune our branches through the word. And let us be a people who every morning awaken joyfully ready to receive the word, having our hearts prepared and ready to be used by him. For the fruitful heart is not just the one that hears, but the one that obeys and knows the Lord intimately, because the word is not just what he says, the word is Jesus himself. I love it. It's like, you yeah. guys heart. Those who like, and those like seed sown on good ground hear the word welcome it and produce fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. You guys, think about this. Your fruit production is directly connected to your intimate relationship and obedience to Jesus. That's why Jesus is described in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the, and in the, was with, and the, Was Good job! By the the end of it, we had it. We were like... He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. You guys... (laughs) Sorry, that was top to bottom. That was a full-body chill. You guys... Jesus says, you are the light of the world In the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know where it comes from? Jesus in our hearts. The word in us. Us consuming him, taking him in. Him finding receptive soil. It comes down to us saying, Lord, I need all of you. And I can't produce anything away from you. That's why in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine. We are What? And apart from him, we can do what? Mm. You guys, mm. when that light shines within us, church, our hearts, like rich soil, are going to produce this fruit. There's going to be a harvest, and I want you to remember this as we close this off, because I'm just going to explode if I go any farther. when a crop begins to grow. Have you ever been to the orchards? My wife, my wife loves taking me to the orchards. She makes me go pick things off trees. <laughs> Some of them I'm quite allergic to, but you know, that's part of the fun. You guys, you ever go to orchards and find a farm where everything there that's being produced is being consumed by the one person who planted it? They're just out there eating all their apples. Wouldn't that be hilarious? I mean, it looks like Augustus Gloop out there just, just eating all these apples. Although he wouldn't eat apples. He wanted other things. But think about this. Do You guys think about this. What does a healthy harvest bless? It's not just the person who planted it. It goes far it goes wide, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold because healthy fruit, fruit production, not fruit production, fruit production, healthy fruit production will beget blessing. It'll feed others. It'll bless others. Do you want to have an impact in this world? Then you need to have a heart that is receptive and obedient to the word, to the call of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for calling us to be yours. Lord, for calling us to be your people, for making us new creations through your sacrifice. Lord, we cannot describe. I, I just, I feel like the English language fails me, and I can't even say the right words right. God, I, I, I don't even know how to describe how encouraging and amazing it is to me that you want a relationship with us. That you love us so much that you not only saved us from our sin, but that you want intimate fellowship with us. That you looked at your disciples and said, you're my friends. That blows my mind. That you were so humble that you called people to yourself and you said, are you tired? Are you weary? Come to me. I'll give you rest. And you described your own heart as being gentle and lowly. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what true love is. Thank you for changing everything about my wretched heart. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would reveal to every single one of us when our hearts are starting to, Lord, to get hard, when our hearts are starting to shallow, when our hearts are getting choked out, Lord, would you open our eyes? Lord, we confess to you that we've allowed idols in our lives, and we just want to ask you to make us aware of them because we want to be a church, a people, a body that produces fruit, that becomes a blessing to this community that they can't even describe. Lord, we want to be an orchard that feeds this entire county. And so, Lord, would you find in us soil-prepared, obedient servants. It starts here. It starts within our hearts. And as we worship you, Lord, and as we sing these words, we just recognize that without your love, we were lost. You saved us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And Lord, reinvigorate our hope of what you long to do in the lives of those who are lost around us. Use us, Lord, to reach them. Give us your words. Allow us to create a hunger. We ask it in Jesus' name.